You're listening to Our Tunes. Music appreciation and digital media discourse. Welcome to Our Tunes. I'm Brad Lanute. And I'm Lewis Weil. What's up? <laughs> hey, Brad. How you doing? Pretty good. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Brad, I have a really important question to ask you. Mm-hmm. What are you listening to, Brad? I will say that I had an interesting uh, musical experience last weekend. Experienced a long story festival called the Newport Jazz Festival. It was a great weekend. Three-day jazz festival. They've been doing it for years. Where is that? Newport, Rhode Island. Oh, man. So I'll just mention a couple of like the bands that kind of stuck out to me. Sure. Um, so there were multiple stages. Crowd was great. Day one, we started off by seeing Micaiah McRaven, who we had, re- I had you rec- saw in Philly. Right? I recently oh, saw in Philly. They were great. They were followed by a band called Sons of Kemet. drummer it is which one oh gonna, my god there's say, multiple drummers yeah, so a very Insane. a very interesting composition mm-hmm. of musical instruments two drum sets a sax player and a tuba player tuba <laughs> sax two drum sets awesome. and they killed it they've been together for like 10 years and it was actually their swan song it seems like they're breaking up at the end of the year Sad. um but the, yeah i was most impressed with the uh the tuba player. So one of the drummers, uh, Tom Skinner, is in a band with two of their members of Radiohead, Johnny Greenwood and Tom York. They have a new album called The Smile. That's Well, that's the, the band name. And the album is called A Light for Attracting Attention. And it's really rhythmically dense. It's mathy. It's, it's a lot of like Radiohead feel style, like riffs and kind of vocals, Tom York doing vocals. But the drumming is really standout because this guy has so much musicality, he's got a groove, he's got a lot of different things that I don't think Radiohead really had, like rhythm section-wise. The album is called A Light for Attracting Attention, okay. and the group is called The Smile, which sounds corny, uh, but I heard that Tom York referred to it as the smile that somebody gives you when they're lying to your face. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so like, you know, a little tinge maybe of darkness. That, maybe that could be the, the album-like name. <laughs> that would actually be really good. Day two, so this is where I would say, like, it kind of reminded me a bit of the uh, New Orleans Jazz Fest, where, mm-hmm. you know, some of the headliners, you might say, aren't necessarily jazz. Okay. But, I mean... Jazz adjacent. Yeah. So you had... Diggable Planets, okay, 80s, 90s alternative hip hop act that's you know been making music continuously for a long time. They put on a great show. Crowd was loving it. I got hold of my mind, devil on my back, 
Brooklyn in my blood and butters on the track. I got insect thoughts, cats with cool ways, clouds of purple haze keep me in a daze. The jazz, the job, the poetry, the style, the lingo, the bags of equality. Many different things trying to get to me, but in a world of hard rock, I keep my humility. The funk and not from the kingdom of not with galactic show shot. The Angelique Kidjo. Her tour was called Remain in Light, so there was a bunch of covers from the Talking oh, Heads album Remain in Light. Awesome. Take a look at these hands. Take a look at these hands. The hand speaks. The hand of a government man. great act. She's been making music for a long time. I saw her in Vermont almost a decade ago. Afrobeat flavor to it. The crowd was digging it. I love a festival feel just because everyone's there to just have a good time and they're just like open-minded about who's coming up. And, it's also uh, just like it's electrifying right? You're like there's so many artists that are incredible creative collaborative and have been around for generations and they're all making music in the same place on the same day like there is something special about that. Probably like the most classically jazzy kind of set I saw was VJ Ayer. bass, drums, good classic jazz feel, and Sampa the Great. I think another one that might be oh, a little man. more jazz adjacent. Yeah. She was on a smaller stage, and I think everyone at the smaller stage was like, she should be on the big stage. Yeah. I don't feel no pressure. Wanna see how we do when we do no pressure. No stress, no pressure. No but I know what I don't call it, no stress. When you're running at the parties, better tell them who run it, who find it, it's yardy. Sounds like a packed, packed lineup and a really good time. So how about you, Lewis? What have you been listening to? I've been carried to some new music this week via a concert experience. So I went down to D.C. to see Rage Against the Machine, a show I've been waiting to go to for two years. I bought the tickets in 2019 for an August 2020 appearance at capital one arena in dc which seems insane to have uh anti-establishment anti-capitalist <laughs> uh band rage against machine playing there but at the same time you know i think on this tour they're donating tons and tons of their ticket sales to plenty of countercultural causes they're on a major label to make as much money as they can to undercut capitalist causes and corrupt politicians and things like that. This show I've been looking forward to for two years. I've never seen Rage Against the Machine. I've been listening to them since I was a kid, since I was like 14. And they just brought it so hard. Their energy was like undeniable. Zach De La Rocha, the lead singer, injured his foot, I guess about a week before the DC date. And so he was sitting on a road case on the stage. The energy this guy brought in spite of that injury, like it's wild on point on his delivery his vocals like a lot of his parts are really rapid fire rap rocking most of the time he's screaming his head off like they went so hard it was incredible it rocked
those that work forces are the same that burn crosses. Some of those that work forces are the same that burn crosses. I went with my good friend Zach, who's you know longtime friend and music recommender, enjoyer. So much of the stuff I've learned about, I learned being around him, just sharing music. Come down from this trip was driving back from D.C. the next day, listening to this album he recommended to me, which is by uh, Jesse Ware. Her newer album could be considered like disco adjacent. Hmm. The sound is very electronic. Came out in 2020. The album's called What's Your Pleasure it bops so hard it's so full of these like little intricate moments there's all these synths going on the beats are driving the hooks are so intoxicating one song i really like from the album is called soul control But even though that's way, way different from Rage Against the Machine, which incidentally is a band that I like learned to play my instrument listening to. My parents bought me a bass when I was 15 and I learned Calm Like a Bomb, just like little bass solo at the beginning. It was like one of the first things I was like, I have to learn this. Well, feel the funk favorite Rage Against the Machine album? Oh, man. I mean, I'm a self-titled guy through and through. Yes! Because every too. song on that is incredible. Yep. It's so good. They're so tight. They haven't made more albums, but they also haven't strayed away from their message, and it is literally as poignant as when they wrote those songs, if not more so. These songs are over 20 years old at this point. Like, their self-titled album came out early 90s and, like, hits just as hard. So, Lewis, we've been talking a lot about live music today. Yeah, definitely. We're listening to. One thing that I was thinking might be interesting to gauge your thoughts on is live recorded music in general. Mm. So, in the classic rock genres, you got, you know, pretty much everyone who was in arena rock, they've released a live album. If not several. Yeah. yeah. Go back to, like, jazz you got live albums at you know places like newport jazz festival or the village vanguard Mm -hmm. you got bootlegs Mm -hmm. you know grateful dead fish all these bands that are like heavy heavy tourers and like their bootleg catalog is (laughs) immense it's huge it's ridiculous so two questions one have you ever been sort of captured by a, a, a live album and two if you're in a record store and there was a live album section would you be interested in looking at it? I usually will try to listen to something live if it's an artist I really love 
and maybe an unreleased track or a track that they didn't record in a really good studio. I have so many Elliott Smith bootlegs and I've watched tons of Elliott Smith YouTube videos because he has flawless live performances. I can make you satisfied in everything you do. All your secret wishes could write now be coming true. Be forever with my broken arms around you. For most of his career, you performed solo. Listening to that stuff, when I hear something that's like maybe not released or I like the bare bones version better than the, the version that's on the record, really go for that. But I would say largely, it turns me off. I think I remember listening to How the West Was Won, which is a Led Zeppelin collection. I like that collection because there's so many great moments on it, right? There's a Moby Dick drum solo that lasts like, whatever, 20 minutes or something insane. And that's amazing, but when I listen to songs I love by Led Zeppelin, I don't want to listen to that album. Yeah. I think one of the issues with live albums is that sometimes the studio magic yeah. can be like what makes a band their signature sound. So Led Zeppelin, just a lot of guitar tracks. Yeah. So I think Jimmy we, Page was the he was the master at the boards yeah. and the master on the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. So hearing them live, it feels kinda empty. Growing up I loved Yes. They have a live album called Yes Songs, which mm. is a three LP album. Mm -hmm. I believe you have it in your collection. Yeah, I think it's an inherited one from my <laughs> wife's parents. Yeah. Oh, you don't want to acknowledge that? Uh, you, you <laughs> well, I didn't buy it. it. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't claim yeah. fluency yeah. in this Yes album. So it's an example where I think the recording quality is just really bad. one hand you can sort of see how a band might alter their songs t for a live performance so mm -hmm. like whether it's like a medley that combines a bunch of songs or like an extended solo some crazy thing that's just like you know it's special for the live performance yeah i like that part i Same. mean it's kind of cool you get to see like some creativity uh, also something that's like an idea that's being worked out live that really translates right I actually have a really good example of that if you haven't heard, I'm sure you would love to enjoy, which is a Deer Hunter EP that they played in the iTunes store in Soho in New York. Eight songs. It's right when they released Microcastle, even though Microcastle was released with a double album, like they have so many songs. But they released Rainwater Cassette Exchange, which was an EP that they did. And they play this live version of the title track, Rainwater Cassette Exchange.
they rework it completely. So the song was like really down tempo on the EP, but when they do it live, it like has so much energy. It carries, it almost sounds more like a U2 song in some ways, ways that are good. I want to be clear. <laughs> like, <laughs> Ooh, is that shade? Well, to you know, there's, <laughs> I would say there's uh there's more standout guitar work and it happens live in a way that's really engrossing. It's really, really good. That's probably one of my top favorite, like live recordings and it's not an official release right you can't i think it was recorded in itunes so it was available on itunes right they recorded it in an apple store obviously there's some endorsement there do you have a favorite live recording brad i would probably lean towards probably a jazz album okay i love bill L. evans at the village vanguard agree with you i kind of tend to stay away from them sound quality is always sketchy it'd be one thing if you're reliving those concerts because you were there if you were there and they're doing a live recording and the show rocks of course i would want a live recording of that but that's a rare thing i don't think people are recording a lot of live albums these days it's just what are the odds like there's this huge sense of like listening to a live recording and being like, well, I missed out on like what was actually great about this because the music isn't really carrying me. Here's where, here's one thing you mentioned that I will say like kind of gets a little bit different for me, Mm -hmm. which is like, what about live music that's been captured with video as well? Well, right. Depends. Like some live performances captured professionally like that are very engrossing, right? They'll definitely take me there. There are definitely live shows that were filmed that I love, like Stop Making Sense. The entire aesthetic. It's a performance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you're seeing what they're bringing to the live show in addition to the music. I love perusing YouTube videos of oh, any same. old clips of live music from places because it's also like you see the audience. Like, I'm always curious, like, who go, who's who's going to these shows? What do they, they look like? As a person who consumes tons of live music, most of the time it's a you had to be there kind of thing. There's just not a lot that can capture that. It sounds like Lewis <laughs> and I have found some common ground. I mean, we, we come down pretty hard on the side of you shouldn't listen to live albums. But there's one Nina Simone collection that I got that's a live collection. That's amazing. When she plays the Janice Ian song, Stars, it just completely rips your, your heart out, your soul out, your brain out. That song is the perfect live song. Once you've heard that, it's like, why bother listening to another live album? People lust for fame Like athletes in a game They 
Break their collarbones and come up swinging. Some of them are crowned, some of them are downed, some are lost and never found. But most have seen it all. This is homework. Uh, so Brad, Lewis, homework. Homework. Uh, last time I assigned you the 2012 album "Attack on Memory" by Cloud Nothings. I'm so excited to talk about this album. Me too. I had not listened to this album before, at mm-hmm. least to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. I'd heard of the band, but I would put them in the category of probably saw their name on some year-end list sure so i listened to this album my number one takeaway from cloud nothing's attack on memory is there is not a bad song on this album it is their third album first one that apparently they did in studio quartet you got the vocalist dylan baldy he's the main guy i guess the earlier albums he was kind of it was like a it was like a solo it was like a bedroom project right but it sounds more like a basement project yeah and i and i i have a feeling maybe when i heard him the first time i was listening to that and it was maybe a little more lo-fi that's rounded out with bass drums lead guitar kind of in the vein of indie rock slash maybe like post-punk sort of 80s flavor the thing that i loved about it was clear driving rock and roll the band was super tight, tight harmonies between the two two guys playing guitars. Yeah, dueling guitars is definitely my shit. In terms of actual uh, songs that I liked on the album, mm. I gotta say the first one that caught my attention was "Wasted Days." It's Incredible a song. nine minute song. <laughs> it's a nine minute song. It's, it's the se- second track. <laughs> yeah, I know. Insane. driving guitar work i would love to have been there to jam along (laughs) with that song my second favorite song was separation That's a great one. And I, I wrote a note to myself that I would want to listen to that song live, but mm-hmm. with the amps turned up to 11. Yeah. 
Just loud as hell. Yes. Yeah. Please. There are a couple of songs that were singles. Fall in. Format. They're structurally sound. Yeah. Felt a little more, I keep thinking post-punk, like kind of that like new wave post-punk sort of feel. Post-post-punk. Yeah. We end up in post-hardcore and emo. Despite all evasiveness, that is kind of where this album falls. If you have more thoughts about the songs in particular, I will let you share them before. Uh, I just like yeah, crazy. Yeah, so I do have some <laughs> questions for you. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and you're getting to one. I do sometimes still find myself having a hard time with the vocals yeah a lot of that's done on purpose right like <laughs> there's some songs where you know there's vocal harmonies right there's very beautiful moments and this guy dylan baldy has an incredible gift for melody songwriting it bears mentioning that this album was recorded when he was 20 years old what yeah he was 20 <laughs> this came out 10 years ago it blew the socks off of the the music world that was like kind of over guitar music his vocals can be grating right his snarl slash scream i think that's a driving force in some emo music too the lyrics and the way they're delivered like on their own they might be difficult to take as a whole this becomes like a really cohesive art form and the songwriting especially like every piece really fits in there and like the tightness of the rhythm section definitely is a standout the style and method of like vocal delivery is really important and it can't be discounted mm -hmm. like on this album the lyrics are sparse yeah but touch on some themes <laughs> uh that, what kind of what kind of themes would well you say? themes that raised questions to me of are these lyrics angsty or angry <laughs> i feel like it could be a combination in fact i think it is a combination yeah there's definitely lyrics that specifically say we are attacking memory. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the opening track, No Future, No Past. to forget trying not to sentimentalize or give in to nostalgia that's a theme in our conversations uh outside of the podcast yeah and that's and one reason i chose this album yeah it's so funny that i am someone who likes to say out loud that i don't like nostalgia but when i, I listen mean, we, to we did it right here we just shut down live I albums <laughs> when i listen to an album with the delivery like this i'm like man this guy doesn't like anyone <laughs> <laughs> or anything yeah i don't know yeah. like it, it is uh on its face it made me ask a lot of questions which sure. i think is a great you know, yeah it's a great thing i mean it, it wasn't a turn off it wasn't offensive in any way it's art rock right i think that's a term that gets thrown around when you don't know how to describe music mm -hmm. but at the same time i think it's like somewhat fitting for something that does a lot of different things at once i would be interested to know 
what post-hardcore means. <laughs> okay. Or hardcore. I'll do my best. Okay. Again, and, I'm, and not, I'm I, not an expert. I'm just it's a okay. casual listener. <laughs> there was another label somewhere that I was reading about this, and it called it post-punk revival. Like, how many uh, modifiers can you add modern post-punk revival classical style? Well, like, like how, they, how deep down the rabbit hole do you want to go, Brad? Yeah. <laughs> That's the question. At what point does it start sounding pretentious? So, I mean, it's easy to label it as pretension, right? But at the same time, these things exist in a place in time, in a subculture, and in a scene. Music of this nature erupts from kind of a scene that is a hub of pure energy, right? Of people making music, touring together, going to shows together. I would imagine that it's people who write and talk about music who are probably uh, creating labels and proliferating certain labels. You try to take something that can barely be described, right? And then you add a label that simplifies it so that other people can understand what you're talking about, right? Like a symbol. And then other people use that all the time it loses meaning. It completely detaches from its original context. And then you're stuck throwing it around and either you're wrong or the people that made the art, they had no part in the, the making of the label. I'm very offended that new age music is always grouped with ambient music. It's unfair. It's, I mean, it's cruel to yeah, ambient music I mean, to I do just, that. Yeah. Keep your rain sticks away from my brain. You know? <laughs> Back to the album, uh, briefly, yeah. right? Yeah. So this album that. was recorded when the singer-songwriter Dylan Baldy was 20 years old. They recorded the album with Steve Albini, produced some Nirvana records, engineered Nevermind, very famous rock album. He was sought out by Dylan Baldy and their label because they wanted to replicate kind of their live sound as a four-piece in the studio. I've seen this band live a few times and like this kind of energy and like ferocity and tightness is definitely what they put out in their live, uh, their live set. Taking that rock structure and stretching it, a defined genre, putting it in a pot and boiling it, I feel like is kind of the, the accomplishment of this record. Not only that, but as a person in 2012 who was fairly aimless and feeling like my dreams from younger years were not meshing with reality, right? The like rude awakening of adulthood and also living in post-housing bubble collapse recession America, right? I was angsty and I was very taken with the chorus on this song, which is I thought I would be more than this, right? Like this kind of, this is sort of the millennial chorus, especially if you are frustrated or you feel like really sold out by the American dream in a number of ways, right? Like this is a white dude from Ohio. I just identified so strongly with these songs oh, yeah. and the energy, the angst, the lyrics, like it absolutely met me where I was at that time. It's weird to say I celebrate it as a piece of nostalgia now. <laughs> because Whoa, we're like, getting meta here. Well, yeah, no, but like that's, I was listening to it recently because you know we're about to do this episode and i was like well this album totally still stands up but me celebrating these same feelings that i ha still have to some extent but like the aimlessness is slightly reduced right like i have like stuff i care about now the nihilism that i felt at that time that was so reinforced by listening to this music it's still there like it lingers you know this just really helped kind of validate that and 
it gave it this this indescribable quality because this album in general is just so forceful it's so powerful and it just like carries like kind of echoes what i think you're struggling with is the realization that nostalgia is a warm blanket it's a warm blanket that will help us bear witness to the cold experience of life I mean, that's fucking beautiful. <laughs> I love that. When we're young, we think that our anger and passion will keep the warmth alive, but no, it's nostalgia. Wow. <laughs> you can cut all that. <laughs> no, you should definitely you should definitely keep that, obviously. <laughs> oh my god. I do love the pop songs too, like the singles you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Stay useless, I think, has become a song that I've seen this band live over the course of the last 10 years and like they still play that song live. stay useless that carries the same sense of like ennui or like nihilism slackness that's characteristic of this album but it still can stand the test of time i think this band has changed lineups several times so like this lineup they recorded the first full band album the three core members are still dylan the bassist and the drummer at one point i think for like five years they didn't have a second guitarist So Dylan is a ridiculous guitar player. Like he writes these songs where he's playing chords and melodies at the same time. He often just did that live. He would play guitar enough basically for two guitarists. I would see this band live. You should go because... Please let me know when they're coming to town. Absolutely. Well, (laughs) Dylan Baldy lives in Philly now. Whoa! Um, That's not to say they play Philly all the time, but they do still tour. Mm -hmm. And yes, I would love to see them again. They've put out four, maybe five albums since this. I will say, like, the format of their albums has changed. I think there are a lot more tight pop songs now. Post-punk revival, maybe? (laughs) Sure. The earlier Cloud Nothings recordings were considered, I guess, power pop to some extent, but it's, like, also noisy, so it's, like, noise pop. And the labels just uh, lose all meaning. On post-hardcore for a second. You want to talk about that? Okay. Please. Could you start with hardcore? Yeah. Okay. Could you give me a hardcore example? Like okay. Example album or artist. Okay, Minor Minor Threat. Okay. Was a DC hardcore band fronted by Ian McKay. A shiny example of hardcore, but only in the sense that it also leads us straight into post-hardcore. Because this man played in Minor Threat, which was a short-lived band that had so much community around it. Like we were talking before about how you're at a very impressionable time in your life and that really envelops you. It becomes something that you're a part of. It becomes a scene. It becomes a lifestyle. And I think enough people were on board with that in the DC hardcore scene in the 1980s that they took that and followed it. So when Ian McKay stopped doing Minor Threat, he started another band called Fugazi. Fugazi. 
quintessential post-hardcore band because it takes elements of hardcore music, which is loud, shouted, yelled vocals, pretty heavy guitars, but also sort of in a pop structure. Wiry, angular, non-melodic instrumental bits, making something more poppy out of it. It adheres to like some pop structures that hardcore music didn't quite have. If you listen to albums by those bands and then you listen to this, it's not going to be immediately apparent how they're connected, but you wouldn't have the one without the other. Sure. It's like we've talked about Sonic Youth dozens of times, right? And I think every single indie rock band we've ever listened to from the 2000s would be nowhere without Sonic Youth because they're a pioneering band that did weird things with traditional rock structures. Mm -hmm. It opened artistic gateways for people. And, you know, and we're not tabula rasas, you know, we reflect back the world that we interpret. And so if we listen to different types of music, it's wired in our brains that like there's things that we think are orally, you know, good. Yeah, somebody like Dylan Baldy, I think, is actually, I would say, a really important creative figure in our generation of musicians because he's still making guitar music that is seriously worth a damn, right? It's not just retreading the same footsteps over and over again. He hits so consistently. Well, Lewis, thank you for sharing that album with me. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to keep it in rotation for a while. It seems like you've recognized that this show is simply an exercise in nostalgia (laughs) and therefore we will be concluding this venture yeah put it in a box drop it in the bottom of the ocean (laughs) we will have to leave our fans waiting maybe just maybe there might be a future season don't unsubscribe please (laughs) i would just uh express gratitude right i'd just like to thank you for coming on this journey with me to dig into bullshit that I've loved forever and share the same with me. I will shovel shit with you any day. <laughs> we really went places. We we interviewed people like it was really valuable. I learned a lot. I felt a lot of things. Thank you, Lewis. Part of this endeavor was to gain more appreciation for different types of music that I have not had the opportunity or inkling to appreciate. And so I've appreciated the things you've exposed me to, things that our guests, uh, Ben Curry and Pop Music, have (laughs) exposed us to. I'm grateful Um, for those instances as well. Fun input from a lot of folks on the way. It's been a really great first season, and you got no idea what's coming at you next season. That's good. It makes it sound like they're definitely going to be a good season. It's going to be called R-Tunes Season 2. Post our tunes. <laughs> Two tunes. <laughs> Post revival. <laughs> our season one wrapped. We'll see you back in October. Yep. As always, thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram at Artunes Podcast and on Twitter at Artunes Pod. Artunes is hosted by Brad Lanou and Lewis Weil, produced by Robert Hughes. Thank you so much for listening. Are you ready for me to talk? Yeah, if you must.